Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 8. Reads like this. Then I saw, and this is uh, the Apostle John speaking, a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God and he will be my son, but as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Pray with me. Father, we want to hear from you this morning in Revelation 21. And we want what is written here to guide our thoughts, to instruct the way that we live to fill us with hope, always, today, next year, with every breath that you give us, and it can only happen by your power, so move in power, we pray in Christ's name, amen. Well, in just a few days, we'll be in 2020, and this should be the time, had I been planning well enough, for churches roll out their 2020 vision and all those things, because it kind of is just a good play on words uh, to say 2020. We all see in 2020. I'm pretty sure I don't see 2020 even with these guys on, but I get, I get close. It's a new year, so we think new year, new me. We think of all the stuff that we want to do and all the ways we want to live differently. We look back and we thank God for the stuff that has come on. And then we go, man, I want to... And they're all the same, right? I mean, from the holidays, we're feeling bloated, so we're like, ah, i got to lose some weight in 2020. Then you don't, so you just kind of push it to next year, and you just kind of keep pushing it. Um, <laughs> and so we have all these ways that we, we want to reset. And I, like, I do like the rhythm of new habits and new disciplines. I, mean, I, I enjoy it. I enjoy thinking about ways I want to live differently, right? You can, if you use the kind of nerdy term of like human flourishing. I, I want to be better for the Lord in that sense. I want to, I want to think about Him more. I want my heart to be uh, more fully delighting and enjoying Him. I want, to, I want to sin less. I want to be less concerned about myself. I want to be more concerned for others. And these moments in our calendar year provide for us opportunities to try and strive for a reset. We go, okay, let's have a reset. And it feels good. It feels good to have those moments where, okay, well, whatever's happened has happened, and whatever's coming, that's new, and let's think about it in a new way. 
So you will often find me in uh, my nerdy fashion, writing down things I want to do differently and trying to talk to people about it to hold myself accountable and all that stuff that I try to do. But there's something that I can't escape, even in all the desire for new, and that is this, this world, my body, the fact that I tore my meniscus, I think, like two or three years ago, and my knee always hurts. Just always hurts, sometimes more than others. Um, I'm currently kind of rocked back on my right leg because my left knee is just kind of there, right? Just, just, just hurts. Now, you guys get it. Like, there's always just something going on. As much as I want to have new things and new stuff and be new, like, you can't forget what's happened. So, though 2019 might have brought for you really... Uh, really new and good things. My guess is, if you're honest with yourself, it also brought you some pretty significant hurts. Some pains that you're not going to be able to shake. Some ways that you are not anticipating life to go. Stuff that bugged you. Stuff that caused you to weep. Stuff that caused you to hurt and to ache and to cry and to wonder and to question. Maybe even God's goodness. And even as you try for the reset, that's still there. You can't escape it. Right? Like, as much as we want to try and, like, wipe all of that clean and never think about it again, it's always there. There's nagging things in our life and the way that we uh, believe and the way that we talk, the things that have happened to us, the things that we've done wrong to others, the things that others have done wrong to us are always kind of there even as we try to strive for this new. And that will always be the case. Sometimes we feel like we're caught in this cycle. I just can't escape that can't escape the way this goes. It doesn't seem to always work out for me the way that I want it to work out. Well, that's why for the Christian, we have to root ourselves in what God has still promised He will do. I mean, think about our journey this entire year. And so much of what was happening in the history of God interacting with His creation was looking forward to the coming of the Messiah into the world. And also looking forward to this, this uh, and there were hints of it like in Isaiah and in Ezekiel, there's hints of this place that's going to come, this new environment that is going to exist. And so, so much of it was looking forward. Now we, all these years later, we look back and we have the richness of the Scriptures. We have the canon. We get to read about Jesus. We get to read things that Isaiah never got to read. We get to understand things about God that all the prophets of the Old Testament did not get to understand in the way that we do. We understand more about what God is doing and what He is working out. He has spoken with more clarity in the coming of Jesus into this world. He has given us everything that we need. He has shown us how it is going to end. It should change how we live even now and how we talk to one another even now. How we operate even now. Because we do not exist. You and I do not exist in this world unsure of what's going to happen. We don't walk through this life wondering how it's going to be. Anything that comes our way, anything that we did not expect, anything that might hurt us or anything that might bless us, all those things, right? Those are just blips on the radar that God is moving on 
toward what He has for all of His children. Those in Christ. So that should change us. It should change how we think. It should change what we do. It should fuel us to handle hurt knees and hurt backs and bad days and broken relationships and strange relationships with our kids and our siblings. It should change how we might even view those things. And so, as we go through this passage, and we'll just take it in the two paragraphs in which it exists. I hopefully bring no new things. Just simple things as we head into a new year. And the first one is this, in the first four verses. We, by we I mean those in Christ. We have a future with God. We have a future with God. In as Revelation has progressed, Satan is now gone. Satan's gone. He's done for. When that happens, chapter 20, 21 happens. And now there's something new. And we read John in his revelation, what he is seeing. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And heaven, don't just think of like just new, new things that you see. And not necessarily like this new heaven, like we think of this faraway place where God is and we're not. Right? New heaven and new earth is very tangible for them, right? The heavens, the skies above, the earth, what is below. So I'm seeing this new heaven and this new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, the sea was no more. I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So John is seeing new heaven, new earth, new Jerusalem, new places made by God. Well, he has created. We saw that in Genesis 1. Now in Revelation 21, we're having a new creation. A new place. A new dwelling place. And I heard a loud voice from the throne. It doesn't necessarily have to be God. John doesn't say who is speaking at this moment. But there's a voice from the throne. And the voice says this, Behold, look! The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be His people. God Himself will be with them as their God. So the first statement, God is there. And we, we like to think about it, and I would even say we think about it wrong. We think about our lives as like, man, I have everything I need. You don't have everything you need. You have everything you need promised to you, but you currently do not have at your disposal everything you need. Because this is still coming. You should feel, while you wander on this earth, a feeling of lack. Longing. Anticipation. 
realization that this is not everything. You should, when you wake up, when you go through your day, when you're experiencing life, you should realize that whatever fullness you might be feeling is incredibly lacking in comparison to what is coming. Whatever glad you know, tidings might have existed over the past week, if you had them, Whatever experiences you had, this couldn't get any better. I promise you, it gets a lot better. A lot better. Whatever seemed like you wanted to bottle up over the past week and just kind of hold on to for as long as you could, whatever that might be, and it might have been just leaving, uh, but whatever it might have been, whatever feeling that you want to have, you are missing so much if you don't realize what God is preparing and what God is doing. So the voice says, look, God's dwelling is with humanity. Well, I thought, I thought that you know, Emmanuel meant God with us. It does. The incarnation of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God with us. And that phrase that John uses, people say kind of, he, and the word became flesh and, and tabernacled, right? Like the presence of God around us, uh, dwelt with us. But the difference between then and now is the dwelling of God with his people in the person, and, person of Jesus Christ while he was on this earth, before his ascension, and the dwelling of God with his people with the Holy Spirit now is still not the dwelling of God with His people with resurrected bodies in a new heaven and a new earth. So the way we engage the Lord now, the Scriptures call it essentially a down payment. It's a down payment. Very few, if any of us, even earthly speaking, pay for a house in cash. Be cool if you could. If you could... Maybe give me your number. We could need to talk. Um, you could. That'd be great. But we understand in this world the idea of down payments, especially as house prices, right? Like they're just exceeding earnings like crazy. So we get it. Like, well, what did you put down? 20%? 20%. That's a good one. Five, four, three, you know, whatever they let me put down, I did. You know, a couple of nickels and a sneeze. But we get the idea of down, down payment. Now let's assume, right, that this isn't a fallen world and that you are true to your word. Which is a big if, right? That says, I am not done here. The down payment says, I'm not done. The rest is coming. The rest is coming. And there are people all over the world whose lives exist, whose livelihoods exist, determining if you saying that is true. Right? Okay, they said they're going to do it, but we need like 17 years of bank accounts. We need to see the past 45 years of their paychecks. We just need to know that they really mean that. Well, the Scriptures call the Spirit a down payment guaranteeing our inheritance. What is our inheritance? Well, that looks pretty good to me. Revelation 21, a down payment guaranteeing the life that we will have. The identification of God's people with God guaranteeing that there is only more to come. And there is no one truer to His Word than God. There is no need for someone to come alongside. Though we like to play this way like auditors going, well let me just see if you really...
really is true to what he's going to say. We have seen time and time again, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, 52 times, we have seen God come through when his people don't. We have seen morally bankrupt people with no ability to know right from left, up from down, good from bad, be plucked out of their stupidity by a gracious and loving God. We keep seeing it. And so we should read Revelation 21 and go, of course, of course, God's dwelling is with humanity in a way that it is not now. In a way that it was not in the garden. That there's even better than that. Right? Because in the garden, sin was possible. In the new heaven and the new earth, it is not. It is not. You can read this idea in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Here's a passage from the Old Testament. Isaiah 65, 17. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. This is Isaiah. This is Isaiah speaking about it. It actually mirrors the language of Revelation 21 pretty clearly. If you read Revelation, you've read the portions of it with us even this past week, Revelation is blanketed with the language of the prophets. Saturated, covered with the language of the prophets. In the New Testament, Peter himself says this, 2 Peter chapter 3, but according to his promises, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Now think about it. Isaiah is saying this, and you might go, oh, well, he's probably saying that about when Jesus comes into this world and things are different. Right? Like he's probably speaking about that. But then you have Peter who's existing post-ascension. Right, Jesus has come into the world. Jesus has ascended. And Peter's going, we're still looking. We're still waiting. We're still longing. God has promised that this is going to happen. And then in verse 4, he says this, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Which is kind of weird. I mean, if you just read it plainly, right? He will wipe every tear away from their eyes, but there's not going to be crying. Well, that's a, it's like cheating. Right? Like, well, of course, there'll be no tears to wipe. But that's the point. The point is, this is a place where you're not going to be hurt where you're not going to die. Because those exist in the previous things, in the former ways. Grief, crying, pain, death, gone. The idea of God wiping away tears from their eyes is the idea of God of all comfort. He's our comfort. He's our source. He's our sustainer in ways that we have not even realized and will never really understand. Even when we're there, we're going to see it much more fully then. God, our sustaining grace. God, our power. God, our comfort. And if you look at verse 4, just Revelation 21.4, so much of our lives are absorbed with dealing with death, Grief, crying, and pain. The longer you live, the more it just stacks up. 
You can't get away from it. You can't escape it. So much of what we do, so much of even our money and our time and our energy is dedicated toward trying to remove things that only God can remove. That only God will truly remove. Uh, There's a pastor that I admire a lot who's... uh, dealing with the dying of a spouse. And it's always interesting to watch people who know the Lord. Know the Lord. The Lord knows them and they walk together. Deal with things that most of us, if we anticipate it, don't think that we can handle. Because they know that whatever's going on in this moment is a moment to trust in the goodness of God. To count on what is to come. And a stark reminder that we live in the previous things of Revelation. That John has already seen it. And the life that we live and the things that we experience now will not be that way forever. Does that mean? Well, Hans, I mean, does that mean that we should just, you know, like, if we're arms gashed open, that we shouldn't get stitches? No. Please get stitches. And don't come here if you're just kind of bleeding out. That would not be good. God is gracious to us. And He gives us doctors and caretakers and ways to live life, that allow for us to function in a fallen world as well as we possibly can. When I talk to uh, people, uh, friends and connections I have, just people in life who get sockets replaced, knee replaced, the hip replaced, they're just like, this is awesome! Got this metal thing in here. Well, they said one of the most violent surgeries around. Like, right, the surgeon's up on the table. He's like, get, get in there, get in there, right? Like with a mallet, just hammering this new hit, you know, like this new bone in. Just a piece of metal kind of into your femur. Like, go for it. And then they get done. They're like, I feel amazing. I'm like, how do you feel amazing? How is that amazing? Like, well, you didn't know how I felt. Right? Anything that can be done within reason and within morality to to make your ability to think about the Lord more full, to make your ability to understand Him, to deal with pain and suffering in this world, anything you can do to diminish that, do it. But, also know that all of those ways will fail. They will fail. Because what won't fail is the Word of God, and He is bringing a new heaven new earth, a new dwelling place where we are with God. And if I haven't already said it enough, the next idea in verses 5 through 8, and there's this comment in verse 8, we have Noah's song about it, Revelation 21.8, but everything will be new. Everything. The air will be new. Your body will be new. The sky will be new. Colors will be new. Everything is new. Because everything that we see in this world 
will leave. One of my favorite Sunday professors since passed, he's like, you ever, you know, he uses all his uh, illustrations, but he's like, just like a poster on your wall, you just kind of roll it up and you throw it away when you're done with it. That's what God has the power to do with this world. Yep, whoop, done, new one. Here it is. So he who is seated on the throne, now we've changed, right? Behold, I'm making all things new. Write this down. These words are trustworthy and true. Who else says that, right? There's somebody we know who says that in the Gospels. Truly, truly, I say to you, these words are trustworthy and true. The Son is speaking. It's done. I'm the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. It's an uh, imagery from Isaiah 55.1. Isaiah 55.1. Come buy without, you know, drink without buying. You buy for free. That'd be nice. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. To the one who conquers will have this heritage. I will be his God. He will be my son. And then there's this line, which is an unfortunate song that we sing. But, as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, read chapter 20, which is the second death. So everything will be new. There will be new life. God will sustain us. There will be no need to pay or purchase anything because it's all provided by God. Everything that is needed. And then there's this appeal. But as for. And this is just but a list. There are many lists like this. As for those who do not belong to God, they don't get to enter. I was talking with a guy on Christmas Eve. And, you know, I would, Christmas Eve I wear my jacket, my one jacket. So I walk into uh, the Starbucks I frequent. If you know what my star, if I say meet you at my Starbucks, you all know where that is. If you know where it is, like it's, I have one. Um, Man, you're dressed nicely. Yeah, I have Christmas Eve services. You know, so I'm, you know, doing my prep or whatever to finish out the Christmas Eve services. And uh, was finishing and talking to this guy, and uh, he had mentioned, well, you know, I mean, I love talking about spiritual things. I really, really like that. It's a lot of fun for me, and I. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad. Like, what do you mean by spiritual? And I just kind of, you know, I just ask questions. Um, you know, no need to be the heavy. And so, what do you mean by spiritual? What do you mean by this? He goes, well, I just feel like we really, you know, uh, he was talking about a conversation with his friend. I get it. He goes, well, I think that we, uh, we agree on a lot of stuff. I think a lot of what we believe is the same. When I hear something like that, I'm like, you should investigate what Jesus says about himself. Because Jesus is pretty exclusive. You should really look at the way Jesus talks about himself. You should look at the way Jesus talks about us. Because he does seem to say, no, it's not really all the same. 
He says, no, I'm, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I am the one. And we go, well, you know, and we do. We still do this. We kind of have this view. We have friends that feel this way where we just kind of pile up good and pile up bad on the scale and we hope good outweighs bad. This is just something that we do. We even do this if we're believers. We still feel this way sometimes. Like, well, it was pretty good today. I did all right. You know, I did my, my reading. So, you know, air high five the Lord. We got this thing. So we still operate as if, oh, well, you know, I'm just going to kind of do my thing and be all right. It's still how we function in this world so often. But there are people around the world who just think that life is a building up of good things and a building up of bad things and a putting them on the scale in hopes that good outweighs bad. There is no scale. On one side is, if you're going to use that imagery, your life. And on the other side, there either is or isn't Jesus. And if there's Jesus, no good outweighs him. And no bad outweighs him. And if there isn't, no good outweighs that. Nor any bad outweigh that. kind of what you are able to do when you're the alpha and the omega, when you're everything, right? It's the Greek alpha, the first letter, the last letter. When you're all of it, when you're the beginning and the end, then you have the power, right? So when we look at Revelation 21.8, all of those who live outside of faith in me, all of those who live outside of faith in me. They don't experience it. So I have to make an appeal to you this morning that if you're unsure, if you know the Lord Jesus, you have not trusted Him with your life, rooted, longed for, kind of hitched yourself to Him, if that has not been you, don't wait. Don't wait. Because the future that the believer has with God is for the believer. And it's interesting to watch. And we all do this. Now, think about it. When you see people die, at least in the Western world, this isn't the, this isn't the place everywhere, there are these statements that are often made. They're kind of these blanket statements. I'm sure they're in a better place. I'm sure they're in a better place. Wherever they are now, I know it's better than what's here. And these are statements that we often make simply to make ourselves feel better in a moment where we do not know what's really happening and what's really going on. Friends, God wants you to know. He's not being like, well, I just kind of want you to guess. I want to get to the end and be like, whoa, it's going to be so fun. He wants you to know you don't have to say and lie to yourself just to make yourself feel better. Well, I think they're in a better place. The better place, Revelation 21, 1 through 7, that's really what's coming. 
even though we're in the intermediate state before he returns, if we die, we're with the Lord, but we don't have a resurrected body. Right? And Paul says, I don't want to be that way. I want to be with the Lord totally. Not kind of like this, this kind of spirit with a harp. I want to be, you know, in my material body. It matters. That's what's coming. With the Lord. If you're not with the Lord, then Revelation 21.8 is what's coming. For those who don't belong to Him, do not have Him. And He gives appeal after appeal after appeal to believe in Him. To trust in Him. To surrender to Him. As we said on Christmas Eve, to humble yourself before Him and realize that you are nothing and He is everything. He gives us opportunity after opportunity. And it's funny because even a testimony like mine might be something like this. Man, I've heard that Jesus died for me my whole life. But then I heard that Jesus died for me, right? Like you just kind of say, change the way you say heard. And like, he's like, I'd always, I could have recited the words to you forever. And then there was this time where I went, oh, oh, that's what it means. Right? Being able to recite the words doesn't matter, right? It's just identity theft. Being in relationship with the Lord is what matters. Showing up in this space is not what matters. That's just a nice way to spend a Sunday morning. I think. You might be like, well... So trust Him. Now I want to go back to the believer for a second. And, I, I, and I, I'm going to use this. I've used it, this, this idea and application throughout the year because it should never leave us. And I'm kind of a one-trick pony, right? Like, Jesus is a pretty good guy, so maybe we should change. Maybe we should just keep, keep living for Him, keep availing ourselves to Him, letting the work that He does in our hearts transform us even now as we look forward to what will be. So a lot of how I think is how do we live now in light of what is to come? How do we live now in light of what is to come? So we need to hope in what will be. There are many temporary hopes in this world that can modify our behavior and our activities and our thoughts for a week, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, five years, one year, five years, ten years. It's coming, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. And we kind of have these life milestones, right, that, that we talk about. Oh, yeah, yeah, graduate, maybe get married, have kids, have a job, get promoted, maybe have grandkids, retirement's going to be sweet. So we always have this way. And remember what we talked about last Sunday, the world has a way of alluring us and kind of drawing us into this way of living that keeps our mind away from God. And there really are, let's just say, you know, you live till you're 90. 100, whatever, 120, whatever age doesn't freak you out. Like, I'm getting pretty close, right? So 2 million years old. You live however long in your head you're supposed to live. We'll just say it like that. For every year of that life, there is a distraction from this world keeping your attention focused on this world. 
but also, also for those who belong to the Lord Jesus. There is a future that is coming that should transform every day. Hope in what will be, to know that there is something there. I'm not talking about that goopy line from Batman, you know, the light is darkest right before the dawn. Like, that's not even true, but it's a cool line. If Revelation 21, 1 through 7, is for the believer, if that is for us, and it is as sure as the Lord who spoke it, then there should be a totally different way for the believer to live. For example, you reject the allure of the world. Because this is just shiny junk. That's all it is. Shiny junk. You don't care. I've had to start praying this for myself because of how deeply it can be rooted in me. Just this little prayer of, God, might I put my attention and my affection and my joy and my hope in what is to come and not in what is. So we reject the allure of the world. And we have to surround ourselves with people who will help us with that because it's hard. It's hard. People who will say, do you really need that? You really want that? Usually we wait. We wait till we get it, then we show it off. We don't usually kind of pre-think the idea with somebody else who's going to go, maybe not. That might be a bad idea. What's that going to do to your attention? What's that going to do to your affection? What's that going to do to how you might be able to think about the Lord? What's that going to, right? Like all of those things. So we need to reject that. If we know what's coming is really there. But the second thing is this, that we have a good understanding for the pain, the suffering, and the hurt, and maybe even the harm that might come to us in this world. What is the Lord saying here? He is saying, it will come to an end. It will come to an end. And there's this kind of this statement, like, can you wait? Can you wait? Fifty years in the course of eternity isn't a long time. It isn't a long time. Can you wait? I'm weird. You guys haven't figured that out. Hey, Brad, you know what? It's like a double put down. I can say it. You can't, you can't amen it. So I run through scenarios in my head, and I shouldn't do this, because it's just ridiculous. What would happen if? You guys ever do that? Yeah, what would happen if, you know, like I'm driving to go pick up my family from Louisiana, and game over, right? Tire pops, whatever else, like I'm done for. I run through all these scenarios way too often. Way, way too often. But it's almost just a way to get me to go, what I actually, where's my hope? 
Because it's funny, right? Like, as your kids get older, as like your family grows, or your nieces and nephews, wherever it is, you're like, God, I want you to come back, but could you come back later? Right? There's that, there's that time where like, I just really want to soak this in. And it's, you just have to go, that's not what it's about. That's not what it's about. As big of a blessing as that might be, as much fun as that might be, that's not what it's about. When the doctor says your cancer has returned, or something like you have six months. My dad called me in 2017 in June and he goes, your mom died today. I was at a gas station checking the oil level of my car because we were in Birmingham, Alabama. Actually, Hoover. I kept ignoring a call from my dad because I didn't know what he wanted to talk about. I thought it was something else. I misjudged what he wanted to talk about. So I finally answered. He goes, yeah, it's, I don't know. It's not an easy way to say this, but your mom died today. I'm like, okay. Well, that's not how the day was supposed to, not how we anticipated this day going. But when a believer experiences pain, and knows what's coming. Totally different. Totally different. You might have heard me say this before, but the most hope-filled funerals that I have done are the funerals of children with believing parents. Because it's in those moments that you go, That's what comfort is. This is how hopeless feels. This is what brokenness is. I can't, I couldn't fix it. I couldn't fix it. I couldn't take the pain away. I couldn't take the hurt away. I couldn't take the brokenness away. I could not offload it and take it on myself, which I would have gladly have done. And when parents come to me, they go, we just want God to be glorified in this. It's Revelation 21 that lets you keep going. And you can say, of course it's not right. God knows it's not right. He's making it new. He's changing it. So we must discipline ourselves to think about the life to come. Discipline. We heard Timothy or Paul say this to Timothy a few weeks ago. The soldier, the athlete, the farmer. Instruct yourself. Discipline yourself. And this is, I mean, honestly, for me, when I think even about that last line, I go, I could watch fewer movies next year and be totally fine. I'm guessing you could too. Like, well, hold on, which ones? I mean, ah. Because I don't need to consume myself with things of the world like I do. I was joking with a friend recently about Christian movies. I said, yeah, I don't generally see those. He goes, well, I want them to be good and better and I like to support them. I was like, well, maybe what you should do is instead of go to it, just pray that they get better for the duration of the movie. And that might help. He had a better idea. He goes, maybe next time, 
I'll pay for a ticket, then instead of going, I'll pray for it. So that might work. Seems like a good plan. But this is what I mean. Think about the ways, and this might be where resolutions come in, if that's how you think. Think about the ways that the world has gripped you and just kept you a little distracted, a little less focused, a little less hopeful. And go before the Lord and say, Lord, search me and know me. How could I anchor more of my time in you? How could I be better about focusing on what's to come? Because when you don't think about that, what happens? You get sloppy. It's like the team that secures first place with months in the season to go. And it's like, meh, whatever. You know, we're good now. We'll just kind of take our time. And anybody in the coaching role will go, that's when you get injured. You get injured when you stop paying attention. Well, it means all the more for the believer. When you know what's coming and go, oh, I'll just do whatever then. No big deal. That's when you get caught. But you have to keep what's coming before you every single day. And let that shape what you do every single day. Because he's worth it. And he's worthy. And he's coming and he's making all things new for us.